Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Christy Purifoy. I'm Lisa Jo Baker, and today we have a role reversal and a plot twist. Christy is the person bringing new shows to our attention, and a new character enters the conversation that neither of us expected, I think. That's right. This is the episode that will go down in history as the one where Christy wanted to talk about a TV show. And as friends, we especially love it that so many of you listen with your friends. So please do use that share button on your podcast app and send this episode to a friend. Get comfy. Here we go. The thing about these conversations is that ultimately our hope is to inspire and encourage and move and nudge you toward really growing a daily life that matters. And what I love about that tagline is that it's the tagline nobody would necessarily dream up, I think, because daily life is the part of our lives we want to get out of or escape Mm -hmm. from, or at least marketing and media is telling us that, right? Like we want to watch this show or try this brand or do this exercise or follow this YouTuber traveling around the world to get out of our daily lives. We want extraordinary lives. But most of us live here in the 24-7 of daily life, and Christy and I happen to love it very much. So as we enter 2022, this episode is just a reminder of why daily life does matter and why living a daily life that matters, growing it, which means tending it, caring for it, watering it, nurturing it, why it's something that on this show we highlight. Mm -hmm. And so on that note, Christy, here we sit. It is a very ordinary afternoon. And in the rhythm of New Year's, it's starting slow. And here on the East Coast with lots of snow, there's nothing more ordinary than snow day called at the last minute. Kids are trying to figure out how to do school from home. You're juggling work. Did anybody eat? I don't know. Somebody unloaded the dishwasher. That's a miracle. That makes me want to cry. Like (laughs) all of these completely ordinary things strung together. But this is the cadence of our lives. And it's why we have these conversations for four years now. Mm -hmm. I think, too, this might explain, Lisa Joe, to follow up on last week's conversation in which, once again, very on brand for us, (laughs) we began the new year with a conversation about how resistant we feel toward making big goals to become shiny, better people. And I think once again, here we are saying, actually, no, goals are not the problem. But I know for myself, if someone says, are you making resolutions? Are you setting some goals for the new year? I automatically assume that means a certain kind of thing. It means I'm going to lay down these goals about accomplishing big things, being super productive. But I guarantee you, my brain isn't going to go to something like, my resolution is to be kinder. (laughs) My resolution (laughs) is to, you know, grow in goodness and love toward my neighbor. I mean, and, and yet, if pressed, I would admit, actually, that's what matters. That's what matters. So maybe you and I just have, we take issue with the direction a lot of, you know, our culture's, you know, conversation around New Year's resolutions takes. Because, Just like the entertainment industry, just like the products sold to us, even the conversation around New Year's resolutions and goals is, I think, packaged often in ways where it's saying, hey, I know your ordinary life is not so great. So what plans are you going to make to turn it into something else, to make it much shinier, to make it much bigger? Um, And you and I are here saying, actually, 
this small, single, ordinary life is really good? And how can I root myself more deeply and meaningfully in that? And so maybe today we talk about those worthy goals, (laughs) those ordinary virtues that you and I do want to emphasize and do want to focus on as we head into a new year, but they aren't the things that maybe typically show up on our New Year's resolutions list. I know we live in a culture that really values bigger, better, fast and famous. You know, those are our core values, apparently, as not just a Western culture, but other parts of the world are really drinking that Kool-Aid too. Everybody can be the star of their own show. But kind of the way I felt as a new mom, you know, when I realized, oh, motherhood isn't that exciting when they're isn't a score following it, like a beautiful movie score. And it's only (laughs) meaningful when you're sitting in the theater watching the mom in the montage as she's up through the night and you can emote for her. But when you are the mom by yourself with nobody there, or you're the caretaker, or you are the person getting up at four to commute into work and nobody, there's no applause track, it's hard to figure out how to keep going. And I think that's why shows we hope like this matter, because this is where we live 99% of our days. We don't actually live in those fantasy worlds that are happening on books or shows. And so how do we find new ways to celebrate those ordinary moments and let you feel seen and celebrated as you are growing a daily life that matters? Mm-hmm. Lisa Joe, shortly before Christmas, my kids and I were watching um, some new cartoon Christmas movie, you know, that had popped up on Netflix or something. And I had managed to actually, miracle, wrangle everyone to the sofa. So I was watching with all of my children. Um, and so if listeners don't know, that means I was watching with quite older teenagers <laughs> and, you know, some some younger, still more innocent viewers. And um It was a kind of frustrating experience because, okay, I I won't even name the movie. It's not worth it. It it was well made. I was enjoying it. My youngest was enjoying it. The sentiment of the movie, the theme of the movie, in theory, was great. The main character was very kind and very loving and had goodness in his heart and uh, was really resisting the characters around him who wanted to change him or wanted him to compromise. And so, of course, like any good Christmas movie, the young boys, his goodness, you know, overcomes all. And, you know, uh, the the successful conclusion is one because, you know, of the goodness in his heart. Well, my older teens were just rolling their eyes the whole time. This is so dumb. I can't believe it's so dumb. He's so good. He's so kind. And so I was thinking about this as we watched it. And on the one hand, I got it, right? It was, there was something about it that seemed sort of cheesy and sentimental. And, and yet he was good. He was kind. There was a part of me that wanted my children to be moved by that, that wanted my children to be inspired to also (laughs) choose goodness and be kind and pursue goodness in the world. But, you know, that that movie was not doing it. But there's another show I've watched recently, and I'm going to tell you what that one is, but I'm also going to tell you I didn't watch it with my kids because it has a lot of stuff in it that is not very appropriate (laughs) for many viewers. Uh, So please use your own discernment. But I have decided that I don't want to watch it with my teenagers. 
Uh, the show is Ted Lasso. Have you seen it? I have. And our household being what it is when it comes to movies, we have watched it with all of our children, including <laughs> our youngest fifth grader. <laughs> no, actually, that's good to know. You and I will talk later. I'll ask you about that experience and then I'll decide if maybe I do yeah. want to watch it with my older teens. But because... man, I here first to say how much mm-hmm. I love the fact that Christy is the one today bringing a TV show to the table for us to talk about. This is... <laughs> Beautiful. I feel like in our friendship, we're reaching a new level now of intimacy, and I am, I'm here for it. <laughs> yes, it's true. I'm not usually the one bringing up the, the relevant pop culture uh, anecdotes. And truthfully, I've waited a long time to watch Ted Lasso because different friends of mine or people on social media have been talking about it for ages. I'm late to the game. Um, I have a weird resistance to jumping on something I perceive to be a bandwagon. Yes. If everyone is loving something, I think. Eh, I'll wait. I'll get around to it. (laughs) So eventually, over the Christmas break, um, my husband and I were looking for a a new show to start together. And I said, maybe we should go ahead and watch this Ted Lasso that everyone is talking about. We love British comedies. We love British um, themed or set shows. So I thought it might work for us. Um, Oh, my goodness, Lisa Joe, We we binged it. We did. We zipped through both seasons there are two seasons now both seasons over the christmas break we got so into it but the reason we got so into it, well i mean it's hilarious it's well made it's a it's a great story but here's why i'm bringing it up unlike anything i've seen recently and certainly unlike that christmas movie i watched with my kids this show succeeds in making goodness and kindness really appealing and really powerful so that the central character, well, you know, spoiler alert, Ted Lasso, <laughs> good, good guy. I mean, he is the epitome of a good guy, but the show really succeeds in not making him seem sort of sentimental or lame or cliched, um, but in really making him shine. And his goodness is transformative for all the people around him. And that's really what the show is about, um, that people take him to be a fool, but he isn't. And actually, his goodness makes him the most appealing person. And um, other characters who come around him and are behaving in ways that are not kind and are not loving and are not empathetic are through the course of the plot, they're really shamed for that. And there are moments where they get to change. There's moments where characters, you know, get to say, I'm sorry. And it's all done in a really hilarious show. So, yeah, I guess I've been thinking a lot about that because it's a shame that culturally, artistically, it's hard to portray goodness in ways that makes makes it appealing and makes us think, oh, yeah, I want that. But actually, that show is, is helping me kind of think through, well, who do I want to be in this new year? Man, I'd really like to be a lot more like Ted Lasso, believe it or not. I know because all the shows that are out there really are about touting like the the devious duplicity, the plot twists, the conniving, the backstabbing. I mean, that is the, that's what's driving the momentum of the show, the conflict that's happening. And it's very rare to have a show where the conflict is goodness. (laughs) And I, my, you know, we come from a family that we've talked about this on the show, love movies, love stories. My brothers own a film production company in South Africa. They make movies for a living and TV shows. And we've had this conversation ad nauseum. How do you make a show about goodness that isn't boring for everybody or isn't cliche or isn't trite? How do you make a show where the the guy you want to be like, you know, it's not the bad boy that everybody 
is supposed to be attracted to. Instead, it's the good guy or the quiet guy or the nerdy guy, the happy guy, the guy who bakes the pastry for you. Like that's the guy ultimately who isn't shown to be loved because he's happy-go-lucky kind of cuddly guy. Instead, his goodness is strength. It's a steel that runs through him and that actually holds up and sustains the people around him. Like I think about Jesus and how he describes about in John, right before his own betrayal, he's praying and he says of his own disciples, um, these are my friends. He's talking to God and he says, I guarded them. And it's interesting because the Hebrew word that is used in that context is actually like the walls of a castle that he built around them. And I think that's what true goodness does. It's safety, it's security, it's fierce. It fights for you. It has your back. It inspires you to want to be greater and braver and bolder in the world. And you're right. There are very shows, like very few shows I can think of that accomplish that. And Ted Lasso does it. I mean, for anyone who doesn't have context, it also has a very strange format in that you have a Brit, you know, an American football, like, you know, as in shoulder pads coach, who comes to the UK to coach European football, a.k.a. soccer, knowing nothing about it. So, And he's from Texas, isn't he? He's like from somewhere deep south. No, he's from Kansas. He's from Kansas. Sorry. Yeah. It's been a while since I watched it. And so it's just... Another football state. (laughs) But it's funny because it's, of course, you know, just setting up comedically, it's really funny to watch. And uh, and culturally, it's funny because it's playing on a lot of tropes of like the U.S. versus British way of seeing and being in the world. Um, but then, and it was unexpected. So when I, when we started watching it, we just thought it was a comedy about a guy who comes to coach soccer who knows nothing about soccer, which is why we started to watch it because we're a huge soccer family, which is why we started watching with our children too. And so I will say, as we watched it, the adults in the family, Pete and I realized, oh, something much deeper is happening in this show. And the children in the family who are soccer fans became disenchanted because it doesn't take soccer as seriously as they wanted it to. Like they felt like it made fun (laughs) of soccer and that would never really happen. And they were missing what was happening on the other level with Ted Lasso. And so the show definitely has like some R-rated things that happen in it in terms of language or situations. And so as Pete and I were watching, we would be like, oh, whoa, like we're watching this with our kids. But it is also this lighthearted, good-hearted, big-hearted story. And so I think he and I were definitely in that tension place of, do we keep going with them? And I think they decided for us by opting out. So I think they, it wasn't connecting with them on all the levels the show is actually operating. I think it was too mature, not in terms of R, but actually in terms of teaching. They didn't stick with it the whole way through with us. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting because you're right. It it does have a surface story and it has a surface comedy, but then, yeah, that deeper message about goodness. And it is, it's big, it's good hearted and it's big hearted. And I'm even aware as we're talking about it, that even to talk about it, like if I were listening to us right now and I hadn't seen the show, I would think, oh, nah, not for me. Big hearted, good hearted show. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> Give me some melancholy, give me a good murder mystery, but a big-hearted, good-hearted comedy? Nah. 
<laughs> right. I think a better way to describe it is there's constant conflict happening in the show, relationally speaking. People are making bad choices. They have difficult parents, hard family dynamics, difficult marriage stories, very painful. And yet at the center of it, we are reminded what it means to really love well. And so even though you're traveling a dark road like that, if there's someone you bump into who bakes shortbread for you in the morning and brings it to you, even though they know you on purpose have tried to undercut them at work, and they are not trying to passively, aggressively guilt you. They genuinely love you and understand why you were so hurt that you made the decision you did, and they choose to bring you shortbread. It's that kind of show. And in the midst of it, there's you know a team who's trying to come together and there's all the tropes that have to do with the, you know, the, the guy on the sidelines who gets his big moment and the person who gets injured when you want them to have their big comeuppance and the parent who judges always that his player isn't playing well enough. I mean, they have all of those and somehow they've managed to reinterpret them in a storyline where... We are, we are the people who are causing the conflict. And Ted Lasso is the guy who sees us and understands us and coaches us through it, coaches us through life with how he chooses to see and love us. Mm-hmm. And maybe at some point, Lisa Joe, we'll, we'll pick up Ted Lasso again for a part two conversation or something. Maybe once, because I don't think you haven't seen the second season yet, right? I haven't seen the second season, no. So uh, it's interesting. In the second season, I feel like a theme of that for Ted Lasso is just uh, a phrase that you've been sharing and has been meaningful to you lately. Jesus's words, do you want to be well? And so the second season is about kind of deeper healing and reconciliation for all the characters. So, you know, maybe we'll pick it up again. But yeah, I think for right now, what I'm really thinking about is what does it look like now to resolve to be <laughs> a better person, but not in the, that cliched way that we think of it. So, um, you know, if if like me, some of our listeners grew up in the Christian faith, I mean, one thing I was taught, and I, I believe taught well, is that... Um, that I could never be a good enough person to to make my relationship right with God. That what I needed was for God Himself to come to Earth, you know, as you know, to be incarnate and and to reconcile us um, through uh, death and resurrection. So I've grown up with that, with in a good way, that sense that it's not about me being good. Um, that that there's a bigger cosmic spiritual story here, and it's a really good and beautiful story. Um, but a weird sort of tangent or, or, or aspect of that is that then I can kind of get lazy thinking about goodness. And um, there's the old um, sort of, I don't know, where does this come from? Greek philosophy or something where they put the three, you know, um, the true, the good, and the beautiful together. It's a common sort of philosophical idea that we that we toss around that these things are connected. Well, I can tell you personally, I think a lot about beauty. <laughs> so, I love beauty. It's a language I speak. I feel like it's a way that I experience God and I'm able to see God in the world. Um, but philosophically, at least, beauty has been linked with truth and goodness. Um, I'll pull out my professor hat here and, and remind our listeners, you remember the, the Keats poem? True beauty is oh now I'm going to get wrong. Beauty is truth, truth beauty, something like that. So I'm used to hearing that these things go together, but I definitely tend to emphasize in my own life the pursuit of beauty, cultivating beauty. Of course, as a Christian, I value truth, 
Um, But what about goodness? I think I've just sort of let that slide, both in thinking about it um, and in pursuing it, but not pursuing it because I think goodness or being good will save me, but just because goodness is rooted in um, the person of God and goodness is actually really compelling. I remember as well um, reading, I think it was, so C.S. Lewis, I don't remember where he wrote this, but he talks about as a young man, when he was an atheist, he read the fairy tales of George MacDonald, the Scottish writer who was a, a minister. And C.S. Lewis said of those stories, I think he, he was writing about Fantasties, which is a book by George MacDonald. He said, in that book, I encountered goodness. And it was so compelling, so powerful, and so appealing. And he hadn't seen good, I think in any other context, he had seen goodness as we often do, as as weakness, as some sort of lesser than virtue, as boring, like you said, as just utterly ordinary. But in the works of George MacDonald, goodness really shone um, in the way that I think we're saying it shines in Ted Lasso. So, I think that is something I want to lean into this year. What does it mean to pursue goodness? What is goodness really? Um, and have I, um, have I slighted it in the same way that daily life, ordinary life, we often say also can get slighted or seem boring or seem less than? I guess you and I want to... Um, like a, a little rest, we, we want to bring back goodness. <laughs> we want to, <laughs> like in the that. same way that we've been trying to kind of rehabilitate the way we all think about ordinary life, maybe yeah. we want to do the same for, for, for goodness. goodness. I, as someone who operates um, in several languages, this is something I often experience when I'm trying to describe something in English, but I can't tell you that there's not an exact equivalent for an Afrikaans word. And sometimes I feel like we are living that way in our lives, uh, that heaven has a language and goodness is like a word I think of as like fire and ice and lightning and meteor showers and dragons. And, and yet when we say it here, like in our earthly vocabulary, like we see vanilla or a pair of shoes or, you know, whatever, a jar of pickles, like very small things. And something has clearly gotten lost in translation that we no longer talk about the good guy. Somehow when a girl breaks up with a guy, you know, being called you're the good guy is is like a reason to not date somebody, you know? I want the bad guy. I want the mysterious guy. I want the person who hurts me in XYZ ways so I can feel fully alive. Goodness has been hijacked from our vocabulary, but also I think from a richer spiritual experience we're trying to enter into, which is why Christy and I talk so much about the rhythms of ordinary life, that there is, there's sacred in there. You know, a liturgy is just a sacred rhythm that you repeat. And so there's a liturgical aspect to our lives when we get up and make the bed and take a shower and pour coffee and feed the people we love. Like there's holiness inhabiting those rhythms. And in the same way, the idea of goodness for years, I felt a degree of shame that people described me as an encourager or a cheerleader. I actually felt embarrassed, like 
somehow that meant I wasn't to be taken seriously or intellectually I wasn't the equal of people who were snarky or sarcastic or cutting edge. It made me feel like I wasn't a strong enough believer, maybe, that I was considered kind or (laughs) helpful. And that is got to be a complete inversion of what God is asking us to be, that goodness is something not to be embarrassed of, but to be sought. And I think because there are many things that pose as goodness, right? So politeness or passive aggression or manipulation, these things can all pose as goodness too. We do tend to be suspicious of it. You know, we we wonder, what is it that you want? Why are you trying to be so nice to me? It's hard to take goodness at its face value, which is why I, as a lover of stories and movies, think what they do is they decode things for us. And so Ted Lasso decodes for us our own biases against goodness and then says, look, look what it really is. Don't you want this? And I feel like the universal reaction people are having is like, yes, I want this. I I actually Googled reviews um, about the show. I didn't want critic reviews. I wanted just regular people. And like, here are the words from just regular viewers. Uh, So Heil says, honestly, if I could, I would give 10 stars to the show. The entire series just carries the audience through the journey of Ted Lasso. At first, I thought he'll just be funny because he's never coached football. But then you realize this TV show is about so many life lessons that you can learn. And I realize that's the thing. Often we just think, oh, it's just goodness. You know, it's, it's entertaining. It's cute. It's, it's nice. And then we enter into a place where we are reminded goodness is everything. Goodness is the lion of Judah who lays down mm-hmm. his life for us. Goodness is salvation. Goodness is the, the life preserver that catches us and holds us in its arms. Like, Goodness is also the guy who makes the shortbread for someone who's really hurt him. Like, goodness is something to admire. Mm-hmm. I hope, Lisa Joe, that this year, as we go into 2022 together here on the podcast, that, yeah, that as we try to help our listeners grow a daily life that matters, that we can go on, like we can search out those stories of goodness in our own lives or in the world and share them. Um, because I think, I mean, Ted Lasso for me has been a great place to start. But gosh, we need more than one, right? We need story after story. And if I actually stop to think of it, I can think of quite a few from my own experience. I'm sure you can too. Um, and it's, I have a sense that this might be uh, a good new well we're digging <laughs> for storytelling in the podcast because we've been telling stories for a while now. And I'll share with our listeners as well, before we started recording, as we were talking and just trying to, you know, think through, gosh, what are we meant to share today? What? And I think it's fun that you and I actually have a conversation in order to launch into a conversation. So as we're having our, our sort of pre-recording conversation, we looked through our um, Out of the Ordinary um, podcast on um, on our iTunes app and kind of we're looking through just the years of previous episodes we've done. Oh, what were we talking about last January? What were we talking about the January before? And at one point, um, one of us said, I think, um, wow, we've told a lot of stories <laughs> and we've told some really hard, deep stories. And we have. And I think because we have, sometimes we can come to these conversations and feel like, well, haven't we told all the stories? Are there any stories left? 
And I'm just realizing, oh, actually, I don't know. I don't, I think there are, because I don't know if we've really gone back and thought about stories of goodness. So even for me right now, some new ideas are bubbling up that maybe aren't the things that first struck me as, oh, this makes for a good story. Because I too have that general cultural lens, that bias that says, well, a good story has conflict and it has angst and it has pain and that's what makes it meaningful. And yes, all true. But also, what about those stories of goodness, of humor? Um, and so, thank you, Ted Lasso. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to look back and say, well, yeah, what are the stories of goodness in my own life? And um, as we've often said here, when we remember, when we look back, when we tell those stories afresh, either to ourselves or to our kids or to our friends, um, then we move forward differently. We pursue different goals. We, um, we are how we see our ordinary lives changes. Um, and I don't know. So I don't know how that's going to change things, but I have a sense it might change things to be focused on goodness in 2022. And we're grateful that it seems like a lot of you are also resonating with what it means to walk into a new year that we have called in our last episode, God's Country. We received quite a lot of messages from people this week who sent direct messages through Instagram or left podcast reviews, just sharing about how it was reframing for you too, how you thought about this year. And we love that. If what we can do here when we tell stories is give you a new lens, not to feel like you have to seize the day, but to see the day, to see the landscape of your life and to recognize it's God's country. And because of that, goodness lives here. Like I often think about how those old maps that pirates have, and there would be that part on the edge of the map that said, you know, beyond these beyond these seas lie monsters. But what mm. if instead, like as you walk into the land of God and it's like beyond beyond this sight lies goodness. Like why is it that we only anticipate there'll be darkness and difficulty and despair, but instead God has actually promised to us the goodness of God, like that we will see it, that He mm -hmm. will give us His eyes to see. And that is our prayer as you walk with us this year, that we will have eyes to see the goodness of God here in the country of God. And we're so grateful to have you on the journey with us. Mm -hmm. Let's finish. Uh, I'm going to do a, a unusual for me thing and just finish with a little scripture reading. Psalm 2713 says in an echo of your words, Lisa Joe, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wow, that's quite a promise. And I guess that's my prayer for you, Lisa Joe, for myself, for our listeners, that this year you will have eyes to see the goodness of the Lord here where we are in the land of the living. Mm -hmm.